Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. Um, this one's going to be a little unique, a little special to me. Um, we're going to interview my son. <laughs> um, this is the uke you see me use most of the time. Uh, very skilled ukemi. Uh, very skilled nage as well. Uh, before we go on, uh, let me please request humbly and respectfully that you consider donating towards our efforts. Again, they are broad and grand and really go into depth. When you account for these podcast episodes, also our Facebook post and our website and our YouTube channel, all that information is accessible to everyone for free. Of course, there's associated cost, uh, material cost, but also time cost. So if you can see it in your heart and in your honor to assist us financially, we greatly appreciate it. You can do that by going to uh, our Ascension Center Patreon account, and you can make a regular donation so we can keep these productions up. Any value is appreciated and um, really helps us, so please. All right, um, on with the show. Uh, Ronan, let's, let's kind of fill people in, and, and you know how my... My, uh, it comes off as memory, but, you know, it, it's more where, what is my primary concern? And um, I tend not to value what isn't important and things that the world says is important. You will have noticed over time, I tend not to agree. So I don't really keep track of when you started and, and how long you've, you've trained and things like that. I'm more interested in the depth of your training as your teacher, but um, if you can remember and, and share here for the listener, when did you start training? Probably about three was when I first started, but you know, you're a little kid at that time, so you're just kind of getting with the movements, and I'd say when I first started, like, training more seriously, you know, attending adult classes and stuff like that was maybe when I was 12. Okay. And then how, how old are you now? I'm 20 right now. Okay. So it was like 17 years. Um, but you know, you, you, and maybe you, you know it, maybe you don't know it. And it goes to why we do these podcast episodes. Like, of course, I think it'll benefit the larger Aikido community to see the perspective that we have here at Ascension Center. But really the, the main goal is, is the deshi that are here. 
so even though you know an outsider might go well, let me let me learn more about this uke i watch all the time uh it's really about your own training you know that's that's my the heart of this request um so when you're a kid you kind kind of were a little i would say a little dismissive of of those uh early years but they were very intentional with things uh that we did and i i can remember uh one of the first things we did was uh uh grappling like wrestling right and another thing was where you would uh you would mimic me everything was mimic mimicry do you see um you would i would do it and then you would do it and we would make a game out of it and one of the things we did was where we would go flying over the physio balls if you remember that and you were, you were little and you you just had like no fear man you would you would dive over that in in contrast to your sister if you remember she'd kind of fake it that she was releasing and going over the ball and then another thing we worked on was um balance and cross lateral coordination um and if you if you pay attention the the pedagogical tool so the, the the theory of teaching here is really based in mimicry still i do then you do do you see and also in the release and the reconciliation of fear do you, do you see which is the gateway or the constitution for the skill of faith which is your middle name you see and then um the last one is this coordination you see coordination comes down to an organization of course of both sides of your body so cross lateral coordination ba balance that kind of stuff but as you fast forward like when you said 12 at 12 uh what is coordination it it really is an organization of your body mind uh and your spirit according to some natural principles uh as we were talking about yesterday when all that was going into those little kid games right you're just kind of copying dad but even going deeper to to go deeper than that um a whole lot goes into who and what is dad to you do you see there's no and and you you will need to know this if you uh go on to become a father yourself there is no given that comes to you through the world and the world always wants you to to uh to be given things our world today our kali yuga culture you know our degenerated culture uh so you go, you're going to get a belt or you're going to get a certificate and then automatically presto magico you are apparently skilled and that's just not true so there's a lot of people who uh, will have children do you see and then they're automatically ipso facto in their head a father and that is just not true it is not true the pre-modern world 
um, marked fatherhood as, as transitioned. You see, there was a transition. It was marked by rituals, uh, and those rituals were there to 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 kind of give you uh, the concentric or the contagious ability to transform from a single male to this mentoring role in the community. And so it wasn't this just that you were copying dad, um, but that I was working on a whole lot of what dad was to you, do you see? Um, and when you get down deep into your ability to reconcile fear and constitute faith, when you really get deep, you're going to see that you have psychological anchor points that make up the identity of dad in your heart mind. And that's what you rely on, do you see? Um, because there were times, if you remember, where I would lead you down some pretty scary paths, right? <laughs> and, and still do, don't, don't you agree? Yeah, and really wh what you end up hanging on is those anchor points. What constitutes father in your heart-mind, do you see? Uh, they're like handrails, so to speak, you know, handrails on stairs or, or handrails in the dark that you just put your hand there and then you're, you're going to take that step even though you don't know where your foot is going to land or if it's even going to land, you see. So it's kind of silly. If, from one point of view, oh, I'm rolling over a physio ball and we're doing some balance games and some cross-lateral movements and things like that. But it's not really silly. It's really just a, another concentric um, manifestation of the path itself just done at a child level but we we never really move past that we we never do so maybe um you know again let, let's let's get a little deeper because you drew that distinction between those games at three years old and um and i would i would go back even more like now that i'm thinking about it as far as the 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 reason with that we did the wrestling and the grappling is the same reason that we do it in the adult program. There is a, um, how do I want to say it? There's, there's an uncomfortability, there's an innate uncomfortability uh, with pressure, um, with being immobilized, do you see? And it generates a great fear in the practitioner. And that fear, as you know, as you've heard me say, is uh, demonic in the sense that it is, it is the ultimate sin in the sense that it is the grand obstacle to love, to God, and, and things like that. So um, we use grappling, wrestling, laying down, as a kind of uh, uh, the way that somebody with a paranoia is gradually uh, introduced to the concept of fear and the constitution of faith. So 
if you go back and you, you probably don't remember, but your mom would be able to attest to this is uh, we were grappling when you were like a little tiny baby, uh, you know, <laughs> I would, I would, you know, press on your body, move your, move your limbs and things like that, make the noises and stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, combine it with tickling and snuggles, of course, and then put you in, in, uh, positions of advantage. You're a little infant. You, you can't really do anything right. But we used to do it. And, uh, and that just carried on to where we would wrestle as little, you know, as you were a little toddler and things. And, uh, I would do cushionages on you and flip you around, but I'd be holding you to see, but you, you would get oriented to the disorienting of, uh, moving within Aikido's spiraling cross figure. Do you see if you, if you pay attention to Ukes now that are trying to get your skill they lose consciousness in the spiraling cross geometry. And one of the things that you're able to do and your brother and, and Taylor can do is maintain consciousness within the spiraling cross geometry. And that's what allows you to, you know, land. I, I can tell because I know what it's like. I remember the feeling. You don't know where you're going to land. You don't know how you're going to be thrown, really. Uh, the mind kind of can't, the, the ego tripartite mind, the dichotomous mind, just cannot tr predict or trace the pattern of the, of the rotating spiraling cross. But you have that faith that just goes, F it, and you land, you see. Uh, and maybe you remember when you used to go, okay, I landed that time. How did I do it? And then, oh, crap, that your, your ego tripartite dichotomous mind just makes you crash, right? What you've really been able to do is just let go, let go of that, release that need to know, right? That's that same faith. That's that same reconciliation of fear. But it, all that training started as an infant. And then where you can remember it is, seems to be from age three, okay? At 12, you drew this distinction. So what, what happened at 12 in your, in your mind? Well, right around that time, that's when the games kind of uh, stopped, essentially. You know, from 3 to 12, they started to slow down every year. And it started becoming more uh, focused on martial arts training, forms training, uh, ground fighting, striking all that kind of stuff. And at 12, that's when I was regularly attending adult classes. You know, that, that was my, I guess, sport that you would do after school. I'd go to school, go home, get ready, train, eat dinner, do homework, go to bed, and then repeat that. Yeah, so let, let's, get, let's get into that, because I, I, I think I know what you're talking about, but let's bring it to the surface, okay? So there was this time, you were a kid. Um, did you use the phrase playing games, or we, we I mentioned it? Yeah, okay, so like it was, there was a fun element to it, like you see, <laughs> right? <laughs> there, it, it was fun, and you do have to keep it fun for kids, uh, and then what I think you're describing at 12 is 
the fun element got taken out. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah, and uh, here's here's the deeper reason, okay, so you understand. Um, there is a, well, I call it a homeostatic energy to the ego tripartite. It, it doesn't, it resists um, transformation, do you see? That's why we have the sign over the door that says, uh, you're here to be changed, you're not here to change the dojo. You see, or we use the the analogy of the sharpening stone and the sword, right? If the stone is so soft that the sword can cut into it, then the stone does not sharpen the sword. Do you see that? And it's all describing that our egos uh, come, uh, as we were mentioning the other day, with a kind of a holding energy or a kind of maintaining energy. So as we were saying, if we used a Buddhist um, ontology, you are, Ronin is made up of these aggregates, right? Remember, and I showed you, like, imagine all these rocks are different acts, aspects of your personality, of your consciousness of self, and then we tied them all together, do you see? That tying element is this um, homeostatic resistance that I'm talking about, okay? Um, and Past cultures you know, would understand that element uh, as demonic. Um, not demon like you have in the movies today, do you see? Uh, like it's some kind of monster, you know, that's out there. But it is a kind of energy that can function at a material level in the sense because one of the aggregates that makes up who Ronin is, is material. It is physical, do you see? Um, so, for example, uh, you're, you, you have become much stronger, right, over the time that you've been training here. So um, there was a time when, like, I was way stronger than you, right? Uh, but now you're way stronger than me, do you see? Um, but that was not easy, right? It, it, it didn't just come like, oh, keep going and keep going. If you pay attention, um, your, your father was in there to keep you going, do you see? And it wasn't always fun, right? This homeostatic resistance to it uh, really manifest uh, in things like, oh, this hurts now, or this is scary now, or this is not fun anymore, or this is not entertaining, you see? And past cultures would go, would treat it, uh, because they're interested in a utilitarian tool of how do you address that aspect of ourselves. So the, the modern culture will go like, oh, all you got to do is be more disciplined and be more motivated. But it, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And as I've already always told you, uh, if if you're at the bottom of motivate, if you if you're at the point where you have to get motivated to train, you're already losing. You're already losing. Do you see the discipline as you described it? Uh, just do it. It's just life. Do you see? So you were like, this became my sport, kind of like the the um, 
the world will at, at that age, middle school, high school, like you, they want you to zero in on a sport, you see, and then they fill your heads with aspirations of, of going professional, do you see? And so you, you get all the equipment, you join the league, right? Um, and your the, your household and and your life centers around that kind of thing. Do you see? And you described uh, this. This became my thing. So I would go to school, do my homework, come here, go home, go to bed, right? Eat, go to bed, and repeat it again. It's it, from another point of view, is a very monastic lifestyle, right? And if you pay attention, it's the same monastic lifestyle that your father has for himself. Do you see? Again, all by conscious design, okay? But if we're focusing in on this homeostatic resistance and pre-modern cultures are trying to go, you can't just motivate yourself. It doesn't work. Uh, you could look at people who they'll work out sometimes. They work out um, for a while, maybe at the new year, or even with their diets and things like that, right? They get really motivated, but motivated motivation wanes, and it's much different from adopting an asceticism or a monasticism, which is, this is just how I live, do you see? And that's what we want. Well, what pre-modern cultures did is, they're a look, you have to understand this homeostatic resistance to your transformation at the level that it functions both materially, it, it functions emotionally, it functions uh, mentally, it functions spiritually, and uh, the way they came up with that is go, it's a, it's demonic. You see, it's this this it there's a there's a there's almost like a personality to it. There's almost like a beingness to it. But there's also this non-beingness to it. You see, and um, that, in a way, and it's important to to get this. I think, and this is common to all religious traditions of, of the past. You are in a battle. You are in a war. You're in a war with those demonic forces, or to put it in a more digestible way for moderns, you are in a war with that homeostatic resistance to transformation. Okay. There's there's a there's a movement now in modern spiritual traditions to move away from the analogy of combat, but uh, this is a perversion and a degeneration of what is actually happening at a meaningful level. It is indeed a war, and that is indeed the best way of understanding it, okay? So when you're at 12, we took the fun out of it, do you see? The fun, the entertainment, uh, why? Well, and we'll use the, the, the metaphor or the uh, ontological element of a demon. So the ultimate trick of a demon is to get you to believe it does not exist. Or better said, to get you to make the way of transformation the way of non-transformation. And the way it does that is it takes the sacred and makes it profane. It makes it um, impotent, 
it makes it worldly. So for example, at a certain point, and you're three years old, do you see, you're working on various things uh, that are changing you as a young toddler. So it is not normal for this toddler to, uh, uh, to go flying over the ball like that, do you see? Uh, but by various contexts that were designed, such as who your father is to you at a, at a psycho-spiritual level, you start to go over the ball. But then that homeostatic energy now will make it fun. Do you see? It'll make it fun. And fun is who you are. What is pleasurable, what is fun, uh, what is exciting, what is entertaining is that homeostatic energy. It, 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 it is in your wheelhouse. It is in your comfort zone. Do you understand? Why is it, why is it fun? Because it's in your comfort zone. What is not fun? Anything that is outside your comfort zone. Anything that requires you to transform. Do you get it? And so you, you as a teacher, it's like, okay, I, I need the spiritual transformation of Ronin. And I'm going to let that homeostatic resistance do what it's going to do because we still need you to be coordinated cross-laterally. We still need you to have balance, do you see? We still need to build on the psycho-spiritual constructs of sensei, do you see, in your mind that you can use as a handrail for faith. So we kind of let it go knowing that at this point it's now reifying Ronin as a as a persona, do you see? Again, going back to earlier talks, why is that problematic? Because uh, Ronin is the ego tripartite mind. Ronin is antithetical to the God mind, which is the disappearance of Ronin or the destruction of Ronin, do you see? And the communion with God. So this, this fun, this silliness, this entertainment, right, has to be at a certain point taken out, which is why I have always said you don't really start training in Aikido until it's boring and it's not fun and it's scary as shit because all of those things are outside your identity, are outside your comfort zone, are outside your personality. They are not reinforcing or reifying Ronin, do you see? So at 12, that's what happened to you. <laughs> the, the fun was taken out um, and what, what was put back in, what was put in? What do you say, looking at it now? A more serious, I guess. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? For a 12-year-old, it would be a more stricter kind of training regiment than what they were previously used to or what their friends were doing. Like I'd hear all the time from my friends like, oh man, soccer practice is so fun, basketball practice, yada, yada, yada. And, and I remember like, oh, God damn it, I'm fucking stuck into doing this. But, um, <laughs> what were you experiencing in your practices? <laughs> Go ahead. It's fine. Uh, 
I guess at that time, not fun. I, it was, it was very hard. Like I'm getting, I'm little, I'm getting thrown. I'm having to work out, lift kettlebells, do pull-ups, get thrown by people much bigger than me. It, it just, well, let's get into that. Was, were you experiencing pain? Yes. And were you, ex- and were you experiencing fear? Yes. Yeah. And were you experiencing, um, oh, let's, a kind of, maybe simulated, but the mind doesn't know the difference between simulated and unsimulated. Were you experiencing trauma? Do you see from the human versus human violence, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're being attacked on, on one, one side, but you're also being forced to attack on other, right? Um, and you can look at certain adults now who didn't have your long monastic uh, uh, rearing, do you see? And uh, both sides are quite traumatic for them. Both sides, right? It's like you try to get them to do a legitimate attack and they can't. It, it's it's traumatizing to them. Um equally from from mental or psychological point of view as it is for them to be attacked do, do you understand that so there you are you're no different you're a human being you're a human being of this kali yuga right and this kali yuga is all uh this age this culture is all about um live pain free live uh fear free do you see uh live non violent Nonviolently. Well, here's your here's your pre-modern path, where fear and pain and violence is made utilitarian to this self-transformation. And so, if you look at what your friends were doing, your friends were in that age. Do you see? In that era, our culture, where pain, fear, um, and violence is is uh, neutered of its transformability. And what are they doing instead? The opposite, right? Pain-free, pleasure-filled, uh, fear-free. Do you, do you see that? And, uh, and you being of this age, but I think this is human. This is just the way the ego tripartite mind functions. Um, it's just that our age now is entirely based on the ego tripartite mind. But I think if you go back, you, you will always see a human tendency to uh, try to uh, abide in pleasure or fear-free or pain-free environments. Why? Because that is what reifies the ego tripartite mind. Do you, do you see that? So as you're describing what your friends are doing, yeah, they're... They're doing that, and you're like, crap, you know. <laughs> uh, even even the weights, right? The way we're lifting for strength is not pleasurable. It's it hurts. It it causes agony. It causes suffering. Do you see? Um, this is key, and I've never really talked about this, but um, there's an old old uh, saying that fear is the gateway uh, to the wisdom of God. Um, And the Old Testament, for example, um, 
is quite different in the technology of self than the one you find in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, the fear of God, the wrath of God was used, do you see, uh, as a transformation means. And that, that raises quite a concern or quite a question for us of modernity where we don't want to have and we don't want to have frightening moments, do you see? Um, and if you look at Aikido as it's trained all over the world, for the most part, uh, fear has been villainized and completely taken off the map. This is how you have, uh, for example, why is everyone uh, very out of shape? Well, what did we just say about working out? It's agonizing. It's suffering. Do you see? To get at that level. Um, why does everyone talk so much at these Aikido all over the world? Because that that is the safest way of having a fear-free or a pain-free environment. I, got, I just have to talk. That's all I get to do. I get to talk and think, right? And that leads to things like in social media where these people who are totally out of shape, totally immobile, um, can't do the techniques, can't do the ukemi you can do, do you see? And they'll make comments. They feel perfectly justified in this. Uh, and it's the perfectly justified mindset that is the, the window into what I'm saying. You see that Aikido has become this other thing. Um, and to the point where were you to do anything in the dojo that would generate fear as a tool of self-transformation, that, that's a no-no. You're, you're not doing Aikido now, you know, in air quotes. They'll say, you're not doing Aikido now. Uh, but this is all bullshit, do you see? So your, your, your friends are kind of like giving you that, that contrast, right? And I do remember at that time you were like, because you were training physically, right? <laughs> let's, let's get into this a little bit. You're training way harder than they were. Do you, do you get it? Uh, at every level. So not just your physicality, but um, spiritually, of course, and mentally. And you were being taught strategy and things like that. And that always comes into play in the sports. I would imagine... Uh, I don't think you and I ever talked about it, but your brother and I have talked about it. And I imagine that you you had the same experience that you were like, I could kick ass at this sport <laughs> or I you know what I mean? Did you Yeah, I, I remember um I I would play, you know, sports during recess or lunch break in elementary and junior high. Um and once I learned the rule set of the game you know, I, I could compete with everyone else. But I remember thinking like, oh, my goodness, all these kids, you know, they have they practice, you know, all this time. They have all this training in this sport. Yeah. And I'm still able to compete, you know, with them. Yeah. There's sometimes I'd even be better than them yeah. in certain sports. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was a little bit of a, a shock. Yeah, it's kind of a shock. But and, but you can see like the the kind of egoic drive there do you see it's like oh i i am training in the way 
but I could go back to the world <laughs> and clean up. Do you know what I mean? I, I remember your, your, your brother has a different personality from you. But, and uh, I remember he came to me uh, almost like a, a mystery. Like, Dad, how come I can beat these kids? <laughs> right? Because it's because they've taken fear and pain off the table and we have kept it on the table you can reach higher levels of transformation which would include things like conditioning do you see um again there is a lot of overlap between the way and sports there's a shared genealogical history to it and so even when i was in sports for example um and, you know, I'm competing at national, international level in sports. It was common thing. It was common that you sucked up all pain, all injury. And it was common that your coaches taught you how to do that by generating pain and injury. Uh, it's just nowadays that's not, that's not at, the, at the average accessible level of uh, kids participation do you see it still happens just like just like at the normal aikido level it is as i have described it for the most part do you see but there's still pockets like sentient center where fear is on the table and it's the main course do you, do you see that so the same thing as there there are still kids out there that are trying to be the best in the world and fear and pain is still on their table in sports. It's just not at your elementary high school level anymore, right? But whatever team wants to win nationals or something like that, believe me, it's still on the table. Okay. So at 12, that kind of happened to you. And you mentioned uh, the size difference, right? Um, and I heard some sense in there like, you know, like, uh, uh, almost like not fair. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they, they had size on you. Yeah. I, I was always, uh, still am today, but I was much shorter, you know, compared to everyone, my age, much smaller yeah. and stuff like that. Like you remember the one time, uh, we were doing that striking class and I can't remember the guy's name and I'm holding the bag for him. And I think we were doing, uh, either front kicks or side kicks, yeah, kick. and I got kicked into. <laughs> I went flying back and into the wall. Yeah, yeah. You're so you're a little, you're a little uh, little holding the kicking shield, and he just sent you flying across the mat, right? Um, yeah, I mean, but and it's funny now because you can do that to people, but you also learn you don't you don't do that to people, right? You always pull the power back and things like that. Um, and you know, to me again, to go to a deeper level and it's something that we've been talking about today or this, the last couple of weeks as we've been working on Nikyo is that egoic mind, it functions through dichotomy, do you see? And it's a way of solving for dichotomous problems is to contest and to resist and to overpower the problem. Whereas 
the releasing, the faith, the reconciliation, the fear, the access to the God mind, Aikido itself is about not doing that. Okay, so here we are, we're working on Nikyo. Okay, and um, if you remember, so yesterday's talk, uh, we have we have people in the dojo that trained in Aikikai uh, Aikido before they came here, and they were re resorting back to Aikikai variation, an Aikikai variation of the Nikyo Ura, which has this kind of silly, silly in my opinion, because it's not martial. Do you see? They have this silly hand transfer, trans, uh, transition to get you into the lock. And I was pointing out how um, it, the, the possibility of that silly hand transition stems from the fact that there's about three generations at a minimum, maybe four, of Aikidoka who only know Aikido Kihon Waza training. They do not have a larger martial context of all kinds of moves that you can do that are outside of those that limited Aikido Kihon Waza. And this is quite different from O-sensei who trained in a bunch of martial arts and even from those first people that, that came under O-sensei, they also had uh, you know, rank and, and time in other martial arts. So they knew all kinds of wrist locks, all kinds of elbow locks, not just the ones that we now have today in the arbitrarily decided upon Aikikai Kihon Waza curriculum, do you see? It generates a kind of ignorance in this hyper-specialization. And the second reason why that silly hand trans transition is unproblematic in today's Aikido is because there's no there's no sparring there's no sparring context or there's no live environments in which you get to see what works and what doesn't work um, and if you don't get to see what works and what doesn't work it is very difficult to understand the why you see and if you can't understand the why you will not ever understand the how and now you combine that with you don't have a larger martial technical context. There's just you're going to do silly things that will never work, okay? But they seem to work. You watch the teacher do it, and they seem to work. And why do they work? Well, they work because uh, of the cultural reasons. So you you're going to see as Uke's. Uh, experience this silly hand transition by Nage, they're the ones most of the time spin, keeping their arm up off the mat and spinning the arm in a circle that matches uh, Nage's little wrist flips, do you see? Um, it's all cultural. It's all choreographed. Do you get it? Um, and where you can see that it falls apart is every once in a while these nage will go with somebody who doesn't know the culture. They don't know they're supposed to spin their arm around and keep it off the mat, and the technique goes to crap, right? Or you might be the person, so you might not have rank, and so you might not trigger the cultural response in your uke. Your uke is, um, outranks you. So they're not going to do the little 
choreography you need to get that technique to work. Or your uke does not know the culture and they're stronger than you. Do you see? And the, so you get these little these little lights shine in to the lie that they're all practicing. Do you see? And you're like, oh, that 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 didn't work. That that shihan didn't get that technique to work on that uke, or you didn't get that technique to work because your uke didn't do this for you, right? Uh, of course, if you were in a live environment, you would you would know that doesn't work. So, you know, being a law enforcement officer, you know you know you try to do that little hand transition. You're that dude's gone, right? And that would be the best case scenario. Like, okay, good for foot, foot pursuit. You call in people, you coordinate a containment field, and you catch them. But that could be the hand that they go and draw their handgun with or their knife with. And they're either killing you or your partner, or you have to kill them because it got to that level of force. Do you see? Those are all tragedies. But that, Contemporary Aikido has no access to that reality anymore. Okay, So here we had practitioners, former Aikikai people, they're trying to do that hand transition. But Aruke, they don't know shit about that. Right? They don't know they're supposed to keep their hand off the mat or they're supposed to spin their arm around, right? And uh, what are they told? Fill the yin space, do you see? Which a attacker would do, fill the yin space. So... Uh, they rise up, right? And that triggers the nage. Like, I want you down, but you're rising up, you see? And it becomes the dichotomous mind. It starts to function, and they try to overpower it now, and they're trying to keep them down, right? I saw a video recently, and, and uh, it was in... Um, it was posted in the group Aikido the Martial Side, uh, which is a, a group that uh, Tristan, uh, who also does a podcast, he he posted on there. It was a it was a a variation of Nikyo Uda that Chiba Sensei used to do, and it's the one I showed yesterday. But in this video, the instructor it realizes that uh, in that variation with those with that hand change, the uke is going to come up because it generates yin space. Okay. And, but what's his solution is he's going to hold them down. He's going to hold them down while he does the handshake. Well, that's what we saw yesterday. Right? As, as our uke were filling the yin space, uh, which they're supposed to do, the nage was trying to keep them down. And now in the nage trying to keep them down, they remain in a position of disadvantage, and uh, they start pushing back and down on on Uke's elbow, which is not Aikido, which is not Jiu-Jitsu. It's, you're contesting the point of res at the point of resistance. You are participating in and generating the resistance. That's what they were doing. This is not Aikido. This is all eager tripartite mind. Okay? Uh, again, it functions if you're stronger than the person. But if you're not, then it's a problem. Do you see? And... As I was saying yesterday, every single variate, every single kihon waza, like if I if I was uh, a non-member of the dojo and I was watching all the videos that we do on Ascension Center, I would by now, as many videos have been posted, I would realize, uh, hey, that Valadez guy, he does every kihon waza 
different enough, sometimes subtly, but different enough that the outcome is radically different. And the assumptions behind the variation are also radically different. I think anybody could go and say, uh, hey, I w- do this technique. And they're going to get a, a to- something they didn't even imagine and hadn't even seen before. I think people might have noticed that in our last one because somebody said, I've never seen you do ski kotagaesh. And we don't because I'm not interested in the kihon as self-defense responses. We, we use them differently. So I don't, I don't feel the pressure to do every single technique from Aikikai's arbitrarily decided upon kihon waza, which is why we also do other techniques completely outside of that curriculum, right? So they wanted to see it, so we didn't. And again, you won't find anything like that on the internet because it's different. Why is it different? For the reasons I've been telling you right now. Well, same thing with Nikyo. Why is our Nikyo different from what you see out there? Because I was smaller, like you, when you were a child. See, you you have your mom's genes in you, so you're like a big, strong dude. But I have never been a big, strong dude. I've always been smaller. And um, I didn't have the rank. So these ukes, these big, these big ukes, they were never going to give me the technique, do you see? They're never going to give me the technique. But from my other martial point of view, from my other larger context, so as I, as I train with Ed Parker, right, he's the founder of American Kempo, and his whole thing was, it's got to be practical. He, he would probably, I don't know what he would think about my, my spiritual religious uh, leanings, do you see, which are at the core of my, my practice and what you're what you are being trained in. He might he might denounce it, right? So here here I am, his one of his personal students, and uh he, he was very critical of mysticism. He would use the word mysticism in a derogatory way, uh the way that the secular materialists understand it, you see? Because what for him was central was it's got to work. It's got to work. You see, and so when I was experiencing these larger ukes, stronger than me, and and had higher rank with me, and they would not do the cultural favor of the choreographed dressage pony uke that that they do for the shihan all the time. Do you see? I had Parker's voice in my mind. It's got to work, Dave. It doesn't matter what they're doing which is something I always say here, make it work, right? All, make, we're, we, we're past introducing the Kihon Waza tactical architecture. Now make it work, right? That's the thing we see. And so what we did is, or what I did, is change the architecture so that it's not strength-dependent, it's not cooperative-based, do you see? But is also working on larger principles uh, so that it's not a self-defense technique, but the, the principles contained therein or the concepts contained therein, such as non-contestation, which is the most martially sound principle you can have because it doesn't require you to be stronger than your opponent. 
that principle is sound. And that's where our version comes from, do you see? So even though you were a kid and these people were way stronger than you, I still held you to make it work, do you see? And the way you do, the way you do it is by um, taking away their ability to resist, uh, reducing their force engines, do you see? Um, reducing the amount of matter or mass uh, in your throwing equations and things like that. And uh, that's why I can I demonstrate to you, look, it can be done with the finger. Or I tell you, you really only ever move in about two to four pounds of resistance if you're doing everything correctly, do you see? And so as a, as a little kid, like I did not make exceptions for your size, and you were you were small. Like you, you're right. Like you, you shot up. What what years did you shoot up in? It was late. I remember. Maybe I started gaining muscle mass uh, freshman year, and then I'd say I grew in height junior year, maybe in high school, and then it was like later in high school. Like I'll be for a while. I thought, oh, he didn't get his mom's jeans. He didn't get his mom's jeans. He got his dad's jeans, right? And you were going to be short. Uh, you're because your brother and your sister kind of sprouted up or much earlier, but you you waited a while to sprout. But you were always held make it make it work, right? Um, you're still held to that, right? In that sense, but. I, I took advantage of, in a way, nature duplicated my own environment, do you see? Uh, and so I took advantage of it. And that added to, this is not fun. <laughs> because it doesn't seem fair, do you see? Because fairness is part of the reifying ego. That's that the that's why we have in this Kali Yuga, which is the age, the pain free, the fear free, the suffering free era of our culture, right? It is also this victim mentality, which is it's not fair. Do you see? Do you get that? All that is the ego. All that is the ego. The the God mind does not experience any of that because it is free of dichotomy. And so this is why we make a problem of the victim mentality in the dojo. There's no victim mentality allowed in here, right? Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess from one point of view, it wasn't fair. But imagine, where would you be? Where would you be now if you were always the strongest on the mat? Do you know what I mean? W what do you think? What would happen? I don't think I'd be as skilled as I am right now. Like if I look at, uh, you know, my younger brother, he at his age or when we were the same ages, he's much more physically fit, uh, bigger, taller, you know, just more physically capable than I was when I was that age. And I, I just reflect back on me at that age versus him. And I'd say we are pretty darn different in the way we tackle problems. Like whether we're rolling or just doing Kihon Waza or Jiu Waza, I'd say we're different. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll point it like to, to get to your point, like he's muscling me and there wasn't, right? He's trying to muscle me and there was which is not skillful, right? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to show him that this doesn't work. So I, I, I muscled him back and that, that fucker, he, he crushed my <laughs> ribs <laughs> with the neon belly move. Like he totally bruised my ribs, you know, and I was like, oh, I got to, I got to show him the other way. But, but I used to show you that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but you know where, uh, in that case, it seemed to work for him, but it, it didn't work for him because that's the ego tripartite mind. Do you see that? And uh, if you pay attention, when we roll, right, uh, he gets very frustrated because he can't get anything going against the person who is non-contesting him. Do, do, do you notice that? Like, he, he becomes very upset. Like, he'll, you know, he, he doesn't, he knows, he knows he's supposed to release and let go, but he gets triggered into that victim mentality, is right, and so there's times where he, he's cried on the way home um, because he can't let go of it. But another place where it shows up is in your chemi skill. So he he's you know in some sense because of his physicality, it might appear that he he can do things at his at that age that you weren't doing. But I would point out that um, you, you roll, you basically, and I, you know, one of the times he got really upset is he couldn't get anything. And when you were rolling with him one day, I don't know if you paid attention, but I, I could tell that um, the frustration that comes from facing the God mind, the helplessness in the, in the face of the God mind, is for somebody who will not let go of the ego tripartite mind is terrifying. And uh, I had to break you guys. I, I called them over to me, right? Um, and I was, and I, I had to work with Skylar because she was having her own issues. Um, and, but I had to go, okay, that's enough. Uh, because he was, he, he was already crying inside. I could already feel him on the other side of the mat, you see. So if like we're rolling and there's no rules and you get to do whatever, you're going, you are going to yield and non-contest on uh, then that strength just does nothing for him and he gets nothing. Right. And I will last couple of times as I looked over him, I looked over at you before I called him, I saw him giving up, you know, way before he actually had to, he was like, whatever, you know? So that, that strength is a kind of weakness, do you see? Just that's the same thing when I say the ultimate martial principle is non-contestation, do you see? And which means contestation is the opposite of that. It's antithetical. It's kind of like I was talking to some groups, to, to some people in the martial side uh, Facebook group, the Aikido, the martial side, is like, a lot of them think that you're just going to stand still and overpower these people. But in their imagination, they always imagine themselves as being stronger than the person they're dealing with. They're not imagining a five foot one female officer who's being attacked by a six, three, you know, two eighty dude, um, or an armed person. 
countries. There's, there's always some warping of reality that makes contestation seem like it is martially viable, but it is the opposite of martial viability. So that's what we saw in your in your brother there, right? But there's another another very important place where it is visible, and I don't know if you know it. It's in the ukemi. He often in in the fear. Do you see in the because ukemi involves pain and fear and suffering. Do you see, and it requires a releasing of the ego tripartite mind. It requires that constitution of faith. Do you see? And what he does is, in the face of those fear, pain, suffering, he tries to overpower it, like constantly. And all it does, uh, if he's with a less skilled nage, it kind of works for him. Like he can slow them down, right? Things like that. But if he's with uh, a more skilled uh, nage, he d he's going to go flying, right? It's that difference. Again, contemporary Aikido does not understand this. They, they picture a technique externally. They, they don't have it, access to the internal skills. And they don't realize that under higher uh, energetic values, under higher martial intensity, the internal aspects actually function better while the external aspects function less because of the contestation problems. So here he is. If we go slow, his kind of muscling, it kind of works, right, on those higher skilled uh, you know, Nagas, so like, like me or you or Taylor. But if we start going, then he starts biting it. Do you see? Because he can't like, he's still reliant on that, on that strength, on the contestation mindset. And you, you, uh, you catch yourself much more uh, to release, right? And from the grand scheme of things, that is the whole point of training is developing the releasing skill, right? So that, that's a huge part, and I think that's still pretty obvious, a difference in where you are even at his age now and where you are now compared to where he is now. Um, it does raise concerns in me as a teacher, as a problem that I need to work on with him to get him to release um, it, it, meaning I'm wondering, meaning it's a problem that needs to be addressed. I'm wondering if he will ever get the ukemi. It's at that level. Do you see? Um, and guess what? You know, let me ask you a question. As I tackle that problem as his teacher, what do you think he's going to experience? Pain, all the stuff that I was experiencing, you know, when the, the training shifted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, all right. So then you got some size to you, right? And you, I think, are you the strongest in the dojo now? Have you passed Taylor too in strength? I wouldn't say so. What, what, what lifts are you not passed him on? Uh, deadlift and then sometimes bench. I've never seen him like lift his heaviest, but I know he can deadlift more than me. And he, I think sometimes too he lifts before he comes here, so he's like doing a couple workouts. That's a strong dude, that guy. 
uh, <laughs> all right, but you're you're up there, right? And you're like, I mean, oh, like yesterday's li- us, me lifting and you lifting. I mean, I just was reflecting yesterday, like, man, it's just ridiculous the difference now, right? And how much you you can lift compared to me. And I and I can tell you're always not trying to do your max because you're trying to follow my my guidelines of you know be around eighty eighty five percent and kind of just hang out there but do it frequently. Where I was not, I was around <laughs> yesterday. I was around ninety seven percent for mine and compared to what you were putting on that bar. Um, but now you 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 have size on the mat, right? What what's it like for your training now? Now I kind of face the the problem you know Tristan's facing right now, where I I could totally you know slam this person down, but I I know that's not the right thing to do, so I have to keep sticking to what I've learned, which is non contestation. So I, have to, I guess I have to hold myself to a higher standard because when I was younger, I, that wasn't a, that was my only option I had, and now I have this other thing put before me. Yeah, and that, and that's again going back right. It, you you're in a battle. Do you see? You're in a battle, and uh, a very utilitarian way of understanding it is: there's a demon, and you're waging war against this demon, right? You you uh, you have this. Uh, dichotomous uh, aspect to your mind as much as you have a God aspect to your mind and you have to decide uh, at every point where they rear their heads which one are you going to go to right Um, I think here we can bring in your sister right (laughs) be the one who would not go flying over the ball Right. In in a way, she's she's really good at non contestation. Do you see that? Right. Like it's surprisingly good sometimes. <laughs> but there's no battle. There's no war. There's no choice. She has to do that. Do you, do you get that? And so there's no agency. There's no agency to her cessation of the ego tripartite. And so there's really no, it is it is non-contestation, but it's not a cessation of the ego tripartite. And so it's not going to grant access to the God mind. You, you have to generate the dichotomy, do you see? First, in the functioning of the ego tripartite, you have to allow for it. But then second, between the ego tripartite mind and the God mind, and the human being now willfully chooses, do you see? Your, your free will is a spiritual a priori. It's a first principle. And probably it's better to understand it, as, as I have said many times, as your free won't, you see. You have to choose, and I think you said that, you, you had to choose not to slam these people. 
you had to choose not to physically just overpower them in your capacity to do that. Do that. And this is your rejection of the will to power, which is the functioning of the ego tripartite as it tries to solve for the dichotomous experience of the world. That's what it always does. And so it practices contestation and by, thereby reifies the dichotomy, right? Me versus uke. Uh, but all this is not the God mind where there is aiki, there is communion, there is no distinction between me and the uke. Uh, I am in communion with this person, do you see? Um, when I move, they move, or or better said, or better said, uh, you know, we move. Is more what it's like. Um, the solution isn't physical, and this would be my advice to you at this level. the The solution is not physical. I think you're still trying to. Uh, understand it physically. And if this talk up to this point, you can see that I have brought every worldly material matter-based understanding of your training history up till now, I have brought it back to this spiritual level. And so my advice here is you're still looking. So let's say they push up on the elbow and you're looking for a material external non-contestation. This is what I told the the Aikikai guys yesterday. Is their elbow is going to lift on you as you transition from Ikyo-ura to Nikyo-ura. And what you're trying to do is not push down on the elbow. At slow speeds, that seems doable. But at full speed, or during an arrest, that's not possible. Nobody, no intellect can calculate that quickly. What you have to do instead is bring it to an internal level where the elbow rising, that energy coming up, passes through your body and it gives you the time, but simultaneously or in unison, the sensation that the elbow is rising up, do you see? And you don't need to calculate. You, you are the elbow rising up, in other words. You feel it. It's through every, every aspect of your being. And as the energy goes through you, you're also, even though you're touching the elbow, you're not pushing on the elbow. Because the energy is passing through you like a ghost is passing through you. And that's what allows you to move to the, to the wrist without the contestation, do you see? Right now, I feel as I watch you, you, you are mistaking non-contestation with gentleness, with, with worldly gentleness, do you see? Which that's this age. You're trying to take fear and pain, right? And suffering off the mat for your uke. That 
the, these are, that's this culture. That's what's good in today's world. That's what's right in today's world. But the valid, authentic, viable technology of the self is not operating at that superficial level. This energy, I'm going to keep my hand here, but your energy is going to pass through me. Do you, do you see that? And um, that's what allows me now to willfully, willfully move to the Nikyo and release from the Ikyo Ura. And that's the problem, okay? If, if you look for whether you're doing that or not in the comfort and pain-free and fearlessness of your uke, you're going to be led astray. You have to look within yourself and see whether you can keep your hand there and offer no resistance to that elbow. That is the key. That is the key, okay? And it's different. It's different. Um, because you're, you're, you're going down that way of, uh, I would say, you know, again, my language is kind of convoluted. It's kind of coded. So you have to know what I mean. But you having, you're, you're starting to have a gentle Aikido, which is why I, I'm constantly on you. Right? You can do the technique, Ronan, without killing people. Which don't it's not look at my art. My my art, I don't I don't kill people. But it's not gentle. Like in that sense. Do you see that? Okay. Um keep going deeper. Remember the orientation markers of the way are deeper higher and brighter okay deeper higher brighter they're a movement away from the surface right from the mundane and from the darkness okay all right i love you son love you too dad this concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentioncenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com, or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.